Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by four millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, January 12th, 2019. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And if I sound like I'm recovering from a cold, it's because I'm recovering from a cold. Yes. Um, I've been surrounded by pestilence all week. Yeah, like... Everybody in town here in Denver is sick in some variety or another, so stay away. Don't You don't want to come now. It's snowing anyway. It's not a good time to visit. Yeah. Just give it a month or two. Yep. So here we are. It's been quite a week. We have quite a lot to cover. And uh, where do you want to start? Well, um, I think we should start with the kind of bombshell, right? That the FBI <laughs> um, was investigating counterintelligence investigating President Trump for potentially being a Russian asset? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, uh, this it, is like... It happened between the firing of Comey and the appointment of Mueller. Uh, the FBI... And is ongoing, as far as we know. Either Well, we don't know. We know that they opened an inquiry. We don't know if that turned into a full-blown investigation, whether that investigation is still ongoing or whether it was simply taken over by Mueller. There's a lot of unanswered questions in the New York Times article, but we do know that the FBI was concerned enough to actually start uh, the at least the inquiry, pro- inquiry process into whether the president of the United States is a Russian asset, either knowingly or unknowingly, and that's not news or a shock to us, but sort of that context and that headline and that reality. Well, so the idea is, that he would be is isn't shocking, but the idea that the FBI was so concerned with what was going on that they opened a counterintelligence probe into the president of the United States is gigantic news. Like gigantic. There's, it's never happened. It's never. This is unprecedented. Um, and shocking and crazy and. Um, yeah, it's a big deal. It's like. It's the stuff of, of, of fiction writers and right. stuff that's just so hard to believe and unrealistic. You don't really talk about it or it's not reality. Well, it is reality. And I have a tweet thread I'd like to read about it, if possible. No. Um, no, it is possible. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. From the Horse Whisperer, um, which, you know, they just sort of break down, like, the meaty parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... <laughs> it's just like... I don't know. I, I just, um, well, go it's ahead. It's a strange and, time and, to and be alive. Let's say that. Go ahead um, and read it for us. Rachel. All right. So here's, here's what it says. Um, okay. Holy cow. This New York times story is just littered with seismic earth shakers. Sure to rattle the windows at the white house. Yowza. My very quick first blush take on the meaty nuggets. Let's dive in. Mm hmm. In the days after Comey's firing, the FBI opened a counterintelligence investigation of Trump himself. Wow. Unlike the initial Trump-Russia investigation, which was looking primarily at events in 2016, the counterintel investigation was basically surveillance in 2017+. Right. And then a quote from the New York Times article, counterintelligence inquiries are generally fact-finding missions to understand what a foreign power is doing. Mm-hmm. Naturally, deciding to basically turn your national security and intelligence magnifying glasses on the president of the United States is a big deal. The FBI did not enter into it lightly, <clears throat> to quote the article. As for a counterintelligence inquiry, they concluded that they would need strong evidence to take the sensitive step of investigating the president, and they were also concerned that the existence of such an inquiry would, le- would be leaked to the news media. Yes, 
which is astonishing that we're just now finding out about it and it goes back to what we always say about there's just no fucking leaks. Right. Um, but then Trump fired Comey and did two more things that raised red flags. The first, he wrote a letter on Comey's firing and mentioned Russia. The subtle Easter egg there, the FBI had the draft of the unsent letter. Here's a quote from the article. After Mr. Comey was fired on May 9th, 2017, two more of Mr. Trump's actions prompted them to quickly abandon those reservations. The first was a letter Mr. Trump wanted to send to Mr. Comey about his firing, but never did, in which he mentioned the Russia investigation. In the letter, Mr. Trump thanked Mr. Comey for previously telling him he was not a subject of the FBI's Russia investigation. Yeah, we heard about that. Now, tie that together with the fact that the story was broken by Mike Schmidt of the New York Times. As I've said often in the past, I'm of the belief that the former White House counsel Don McGahn is Schmidt's source for these big bombshells. Could be. If that is indeed the case, McGahn may very well have been working with Mueller months earlier than we ever knew. Oh. Somehow, the FBI had a draft of an unsent letter immediately. If not McGahn, it could well have been turned over by Rosenstein. Regardless, the FBI was on it. So this is a letter he wanted to write and never did. And the FBI has it. Yeah, but we, we I remember us hearing about the whole Trump thanking uh, Comey for, for, sure. for saying he's not a target of the investigation. Right, well, that was from Comey. But apparently there's a letter oh, that Trump okay, was okay. writing to Comey about his firing that he never sent, but the FBI has a copy of it. was of Comey it. that said that in his notes or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Moving right along, the implications of this are potentially enormous. Mueller didn't just inherit one investigation focused on what happened before. He also inherited a second, which was actively tracking Trump's actions as they were unfolding. And here's a quote from the article. Mm-hmm. The special counsel, Robert S. Mueller III, took over the inquiry into Mr. Trump when he was appointed days after FBI officials opened it. So Mueller has been doing two things. One, investigating whether or not Russia interfered with the 2016 election and whether or not uh, the Trump campaign coordinated with them. Mm-hmm. And then conspired. secondarily conspired, yeah. right? And then secondarily, he's doing counterintelligence probe into whether the president is a Russian asset. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are at the same time. Continuing. That counterintelligence investigation would have required approval at the DOJ. I can't see how that would have been possible without Jeff Sessions' buy-in or, at minimum, awareness. Well, Jeff Hold Sessions on. He gets there. Um, I'd be shocked if all that went down without Sessions ever hearing about it. But maybe Rosenstein parlayed Sessions' recusal into keeping all of this secret. If that's the case, expect Trump to be looking for Rosenstein's head on a platter any minute now. If he goes off on Rosenstein, Rod knew. Jefferson Beauregard did not. Anyway, I digress. Another doozy of this now-revealed real-time counter-intel probe of Trump itself, it basically served as a safety net the entire time we sat fretting about Trump filing, firing Mueller. Quote from the article. The criminal and counterintelligence elements were coupled together into one investigation, former law enforcement officials said in interviews in recent weeks, because if Mr. Trump had ousted the head of the FBI to impede or even end the Russia investigation, that was both a possible crime and national security concern. The FBI's counterintelligence division handles national security matters, Mm -hmm. which essentially means that should 
because of this counterintelligence probe, should he have decided to end the Mueller investigation or fire a bunch of people or whatever, um, the counterintelligence probe would then have been ratcheted up because that itself would have been a national security concern. Yeah, he's assuming so. Again, we don't we don't know if that pr- this probe is still ongoing. We still aren't sure if the inquiry ever turned into a full-on investigation or if it was only a preliminary inquiry. We're making a lot of assumptions. It's important to note that, I would say. I would agree. Yeah. But I think... It's reasonable to assume a lot of this. Ish. Uh, I mean, given the reporting of the, I, I don't think that it's this also New York possible, Times article is inaccurate. It's it's also possible that once no no I don't think it's inaccurate. It just leaves a lot of unanswered questions, and I think that it's also possible that what once Rosenstein named Mueller a special prosecutor, that took the heat off the FBI and said, okay, well we don't have to do this anymore. We have a special prosecutor that's on it. And he can wrap up this uh, this inquiry into whether the president is a is a Russian asset into his overall um, you know investigation of Russian interference in the election, and and so you know we we might be the horse whisperer there might be going a step too far in assuming that these things necessarily interrelate congruently. It it might be more the thing of. Rosenstein appointing a special prosecutor to not leave it to the FBI, the FBI that is that is currently I mean, technically, it's still under the auspices of the FBI as far as the special prosecutor goes. But naming a special prosecutor now, you sort of take some of the politics out of it, because technically, of course, the FBI is under the executive branch. You see what I'm saying? Mm, No. Okay. I mean, I. I'm going to just read the rest of this and then we can talk about this may be speculation largely, but I think it brings up some interesting points. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the FBI was investigating potential crimes while also monitoring the chief potential criminal in case he tried to interfere with their work. Mm -hmm. Think about that. The FBI's counter Intel resources were trained on the guy who had a quote, private chat with Putin in Helsinki quoting from the New York times. Not only would it be an issue of obstructing an investigation, but the obstruction itself would hurt our ability to figure out what the Russians had done, and that is what would have been the, nas- the threat to national security, which is what <laughs> triggers the counterintel investigation. So he's assuming possibly that Trump was being surveilled <coughs> yes. while talking to Putin in Helsinki. Yes. Okay, it's possible. We don't know what actions that investigation took. It's fair to assume it included mining ongoing intel from our own resources at the NSA, etc., as well as from allies. That would have the effect of putting relevant work product of any allies spying into Mueller's hands. Meaning, if we weren't eavesdropping on Trump's conversation with Putin, his late-night phone calls, his admin back-channel contacts with Russians, etc., someone was. Whether it was the UK, Germany, Estonia, Spain, Israel, Australia, or whomever, everyone spies on Russia. And Mueller had an open folder just waiting to be filled with whatever tasty nuggets these eyes and ears happened to pass our way. Think a real-time dossier with updates baked fresh daily, because that's the point of this counterintel. It's the difference between investigating a crime that's already occurred mm-hmm. and surveillance of something that may be occurring. Right. Um, bringing it down out of Tom Clancy hunt for Orange October territory to a more modest conservative takeaway, we can count on at least this much. The counterintel investigation makes it highly likely that Mueller had has obstruction charges nailed six ways to Sunday. Why? The CI work was essentially spying or tracking from Comey's firing forward. At minimum, it would have provided intel on the obstruction effort as it unfolded, 
and at minimum, that would have guided Mueller's interviews. Remember all those witnesses who came out of meetings with Mueller saying that he knew everything? He did. Eric Prince, Stone, Corsi, McGinn, et al. He knew everything when they walked in. He had people paying attention after they walked out. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Okay, I'm spinning like a top here, so let me bring this in for a landing. Trump has spent the last two years trying to obstruct an investigation into 2016 events. And little did he know, his biggest problem would prove to be what he was doing in 2017 through 2018. I think we now better understand why Mueller never called in Kushner or Jr. They were caught up in a live counter-intel sweep. Questioning them would have given that away. That Earthshaker is about to sink in for them. Their problems just got ten times bigger. Knowing all of this, I virtually guarantee Mueller turned an insider or two. Flipped informants, not just witnesses, informants. Don McGahn being a prime candidate. Mueller likely turned someone in the administration itself. I'd bet many beers on it. <clears throat> Here's a, and this is the final one. Here's a delicious little karmic dessert to round out this sumptuous info feast. Remember the guy who was president before the Marmalade Menace took office? This guy, 44, Obama. Mm-hmm. On his way out the door, we were all wallowing in our winter of discontent. Obama signed an executive order. It went largely uncovered, but I noted it at the time. It was like when you're watching Law and & Order and they zoom in on a paperweight in minute five of the show. You just know that paperweight is going to come back into play around minute 55. Foreshadowing. Anyway, the point is Obama signed an EO as, par- as a parting shot one week before leaving office. The order revised the rules around intelligence sharing among our intel community. Specifically, it made the fire hose of raw intelligence, currently collected by the NSA, directly accessible to the FBI and CIA. Instead of having to ask for intel and getting what they filtered down, the FBI and CIA could directly access the unfiltered SIGINT or signal intelligence. Intercepted phone calls, emails, raw intel from human sources. Everything our vast intelligence vacuum hoovers up available directly, but only for counterintelligence and foreign intelligence purposes. The NSA can sit on virtually every communication into and out of the U.S. that takes place over networks. Obama made it possible for the FBI to directly access everything they had on Trump at all. Obama supercharged the FBI's ability to investigate Trump. I love that punchline. One of Obama's final acts was to supercharge the FBI's ability to investigate Trump and his co-conspirators. Obama armed the FBI with the power to take down a criminal president and then just walked off into the sunset knowing he had done just that. It's not just me, right? That gives you all chills plot twist, right? Obama knew what he was doing. He opened a hydrant knowing the FBI would someday need that water to put out a national inferno. Okay. Uh, that's a really well-written tweet storm, but there's a lot of conjecture there. Yes. <laughs> and and some of it could be accurate, but it, it, we don't we don't have enough proof yet to say all of that is true. And the, I love the Obama stuff, but... We, we have no idea if that's if that's true at all. We know the executive order is true. I looked it up. No, no. We know the executive order is true. And I'm sure some of that was based on the Russian interference, but that this was a, you know, a, a, a trap to, to catch Trump in, you know, premeditatedly. Well, I think I, that's that's I, assuming quite a bit. I don't think it is. I think that knowing what Obama knew and didn't say because he didn't want to influence the election, knowing what he knew about Russian interference, knowing what he knew about what they were doing and his political decision to not say anything because mm-hmm. they were sure that Hillary was going to win and any, um, you know, public statements about what was going on would be perceived as interfering with the election. Yes, yes. I, we understand um, all the reasons he didn't say or do anything and he still gets so a lot he of So he knew all of that, right? He yeah. knew all of that and didn't say anything publicly. 
him signing this executive order to me does indicate that he knew that like, okay, well, I know all of this is happening. It's going to need to be investigated. And it's, it doesn't, it seems like too much coincidence to just think like, oh, I just also decided at the same time, knowing all of this after Trump was elected as one of my last things that I could do in office to yeah. sign this executive order to allow the FBI access to all of this information. Well, sure, but, but only for counterintelligence purposes. But Obama and foreign thinks, intelligence thinks purposes? and acts more broadly than that. And yeah, it might happen to catch up Trump, but this was probably something with the new world of um, you know, foreign interference in an election that's something that is, was just needed, period. Well, I don't think it's necessarily directed at Trump, but I think it absolutely was directed at Russian interference in the 2016 election. Yeah, I, I agree with he that. he limited it to specifically only counterintelligence and foreign intelligence. So you yes. couldn't use this information for any sort of domestic crimes. I know, but what the horse whisperer is intimating that, that you know, that it was specifically set up as, you know, the, the parting trap to to specifically get Trump. And, and I, I that's not really the way Barry operates. No, I, I mean... It's hyperbole, right? But yeah. I think that it's true. I mean, I think that the basis of what they're saying is true, is that knowing what he knew about the interference, he mm -hmm. decided to sign this executive order in order to make sure that the FBI, when investigating it, would have access to any information possible to get to the bottom of it. Whether yeah, it or not he knew it streamline things, that sure. Trump would be involved yeah. in that, I, I feel like he probably did. Let's talk about some other things in, in that tweet storm. Um, it, it, it's a really neat plot twist to assume that um, McGahn was flipped early on and has been cooperating with Mueller while he was still acting as uh, White House counsel. We we have no idea. I don't if that's think that, true. that he said that while he was acting as White House counsel. But I I do. Yeah, think no, that's what if you go by the timeline, that's what he's suggesting in the tweet storm. I mean, I think it's possible that I, he essentially wore a wire. Right. I mean, I, obviously we have no idea. That's <laughs> no. True. So who gave the FBI the unsent, unsigned letter? Oh, it could have been a number of people. It could right. have been somebody within the DOJ. It could have been Rosenstein. It could have been who, McGahn. But who, it could have but been it, Kelly. No, 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 no. Who would know that he wrote the letter? Right? I mean, he's writing a letter. His White he's, House wouldn't counsel. be anybody yeah, in the DOJ. It, wouldn't be anybody in the DOJ because he's writing the letter to Comey prior to firing It wouldn't him. be Rudy at that point. No. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's somebody inside the administration gave the FBI a letter that he intended to send to Comey and was talked out of sending. It seems to be that, yeah. But otherwise, like, who would have done it? We we don't know. We just don't know. Like Ivanka or Melania? Like it has to be somebody who works for him. Who well, he also suggests that Trump was being surveilled this whole time, so they could have known via surveillance. Well, we right. I mean, we don't. He's not suggesting that we. The New York Times has just sort of said that he has been. Yeah. That there's been a counterintelligence probe into the president. But, so. but again, I need to stress that and we, we, we when we watched this unfold last night, the, the career FBI people and the prosecutor people were very careful to point out, like, this article doesn't make it explicit whether the inquiry led to a full-on investigation and how long that investigation lasted and if it it carried over, ran simultaneously, or was enveloped by the Mueller probe. We don't we don't have any of those answers. All we know about is the inquiry. Right. That's and all that we know for sure. the inquiry was taken over by Mueller. And I find it very difficult to believe that Mueller was handed this counter intel probe, given what had happened and given mm -hmm. what he already knew, mm -hmm. 
And he was just like, probably not worry about it. No, no. Of probably course, we don't need uh, to do uh, that. Of course it was part of what he was looking into. But what our friend the horse whisperer here is suggesting is that he skips right past the whole we know it was an inquiry thing and assumes it went, it turned into a full-blown counterintelligence investigation and that it is or has been running simultaneous with the Mueller probe. And, and we don't know if any of that's true. That's all I'm saying. Okay. There's a lot of assumptions being made that we don't know whether it's true. It makes for a great story and it's really intriguing, but there's a lot we don't know. It, it, it's entirely possible that it also went down like this. That in the midst of this inquiry, there it turns out there really wasn't enough for a full-blown counterintelligence investigation in a traditional sense. Or it could have been that Rosenstein said, wow, this is this is too crazy and it, it, it threatens the fate of the republic and this is what the main reason we need a special prosecutor. And that's why he brought in Mueller and he handed it all off to him and said – yeah, we're, we can't run a counterintelligence investigation alive. Counterintelligence investigation against the sitting president of the United States being under the auspices of the executive branch. Like, that's just not realistic. And even though Sessions is recused, he still oversees the DOJ. We need a special prosecutor. And that is also quite feasible. So. And so then, but the, these two things are separate, right? What two things? The two the two investigations are really different things. One of them is investigating what happened in 2016 prior to the election. Mm -hmm. And one of them is investigating what happened after inauguration. Yeah. A live live counterintelligence investigation. mm -hmm. Those are two really different things. What did what happened prior to the election resulting in the election? And then what happened after these people took power? Those are really different things. But then again, that goes to my point. We don't know whether that initial inquiry turned into a full blown counterintelligence investigation against Trump. We don't know. Now, if it was, it would have had to have been ongoing. You're right. Regardless of Mueller, Mueller doesn't have the power to run a a live counterintelligence investigation. He, he, so, but again, there's, a, there's so many unanswered questions, and there's a lot of blank filling in without evidence that our friend is doing in that tweet storm. That's my only point. Yeah. It sounds great, but there's a ton we don't know. Right. I'm, I just thought, like, breaking it down, mm-hmm. here's what, you know, here are the interesting parts of the article and what it could mean. Right. Right. Well, it is an interesting, uh, really interesting article, and it's a really interesting take by our friend there. And it, it, this really is uncharted territory. You know, so many times people talk about the founding fathers this and the founding fathers that. And a lot of that is antiquated because, of course, back in the day of the founding fathers, slavery was okay and women didn't have the right to vote and all these other horrible things. And we were a completely agrarian nation and you can't relate it to the modern world. But, but there's a lot of things in the Constitution that the framers were very worried about. Everybody was English. And mm-hmm. there were still a lot of people very loyal to the crown. And the biggest okay, everybody concern... Everybody who was in power. Yeah. <laughs> right. There was a lot of concern that, that a, you know, even within this new government, there, there may be crown loyalists. And it's not inconceivable that a crown loyalist could become president mm-hmm. and not uh, act in the best interests of the United States, but of Great Britain yes. or another foreign entity because we had remember we had we had basically allied with France to win the American Revolution and we did not want our new government to be a a, a puppet of Paris right <laughs> so like there were all, or a puppet of Britain or yeah right what we have wanted you. our independence we wanted our independence so yeah. there was there was legitimate concern 
for things like uh, these sort of the laws and safeguards in the Constitution so that a president is not working on behalf of a foreign power. Now, there's no way the, the, the framers could have foreseen, you know, things like Putin and Facebook and, and all the things we're dealing with now. But a reality the, TV show star? But the, but the idea is the same, yes. right? Yep. It, it's, the, it's the same concept. It's, it's, it's working on behalf of, it's the idea that because of the interests we have of a foreign power. A democracy mm-hmm. that people get to vote and that that vote could potentially be tampered with mm-hmm. and that somebody could come in and put a puppet in and then we don't have our great republic anymore. No, or, or or we have the government of the United States working on behalf of a foreign power and not in the interests of the American people, but in yes. the interests of this foreign country. Whether that's France or England or, in our case, Russia. Hey, and that's not crazy. That's, you know, and... Of course it's not. I mean, people, we, we imagine with our bullshit American exceptionalism, we imagine ourselves to be immune from all of the things that have happened to almost every other country in the history of the world as though... We're some kind of fucking snowflakes that like oh, this could never happen here, and it's like, oh come on. But that's come why on. that's why it gets very frustrating when you look back in 2016, and and everybody was losing their mind over email servers and Hillary's likability. Meanwhile, you had a guy that w- was on record as as being indebted to to foreign money and foreign governments. Uh, to be to prop him up and keep his real estate empire alive, and 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 the and the press and the public was like, ah, whatever. He's cool. Who cares? And then he put people in positions of extraordinary power inside of his own government who were intrinsically linked to that foreign power. Yes. Um, Manafort and Flynn in particular. Um, yeah, and it's and hard. It's hard it, to believe like, that is coincidence, right? Like. Occam's fucking razor. <laughs> At the very least, Occam's razor. But also, you know, this idea that, um, you know, it's possible, I, I suppose, with Manafort, he had his own, you know, he was highly in debt to very scary Russians. Yes. You know, and I have experienced and I'll work for free. And it just so happened they were both in bed with the Russians. And, you know, Manafort probably said to Trump, well, you know, I have really good contacts with, with these important Russian people that you want better relations with or whatever, however he put it. Right. Right. So that's I mean, fine. it's very possible to me that Trump is as stupid as we all make him out to be and that somebody like Paul Manafort comes in and says, hey, I want to come work for you for free. And he's just like, yeah, because I'm such a great guy. And doesn't even like care. Doesn't vet him. Doesn't do anything. It's fine. Yeah. Then Michael Flynn comes in and he's like, I'm a general. I'm I'm a military power man. And he's like, great. And doesn't vet them and doesn't do anything. And, you know, because he didn't come from politics, he didn't come from a governorship or a Senate seat But or coincidentally, whatever. they're all tied to Russia. I mean, I mean, Flynn was tied with right, a lot of other Right, what I'm saying too. is, like, it, it's possible that that's true, that, like, he's just a fucking idiot. And because he didn't come from politics in a way that, like, when you come from the Senate or the House or a governor or whatever... You come with a lot of people who know the ins and outs of how politics works and how vetting works and how all these things work. And so he just was or he was just like, fuck it to those people who were like, mm. and and he didn't know. No, right? they were all... He didn't know because he's just stupid yeah. and he, he's a narcissist and the, a general and this guy wants to work for free who's famous is fine. And he didn't vet them and he didn't know it's possible. Um, sure. I just I, I don't think that that's true. I think that just given like. His before he decided to run for president looking at his like financial dealings and like the stuff with Russia and like I think he's a money launderer and I think he he was very into all of that and this was all a conspiracy I do that's my opinion um mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what Mueller's looking at. But but it's possible that he didn't know. Yeah. Either way. Well, well, we will all know this soon enough. And and I want to pivot a little bit to the the latest scuttlebutt around the Beltway is that Oh, Mueller's wrapping up, and we're yeah. going to get the report sometime in mid to late February those? or early March. <laughs> and that's hard for me to believe on certain levels, because when you think of how long the Whitewater investigation went mm-hmm. and how long the Iran-Contra investigation went, and this has so many more, not only is it so much more important, there's so many more tendrils and leads and things to you know follow up on it this would seem to be amazingly fast if this was really to wrap up next month right but it's possible that's what everyone keeps saying but i feel like we've heard this multiple times now Oh, it's wrapping up, and we'll probably hear about it before the election. Oh, it's wrapping up. We'll hear well, about it before the end of the year. Oh, it's wrapping up. We're hearing about it before. Most and it's of that like was Giuliani. Every, the thing that you always say is like, anytime somebody tells you they know what's going on, don't believe them because there are no fucking leaks. Right. And but this, they're it, like, no, this time is different because there's not leaks. It's just the way certain things are happening within the Department of Justice. We've heard that the, before too. Yeah. I've heard that before too. Oh, well, the way that this came down means that this is going to happen and then it doesn't happen. And it's like, we forget that these predictions are always fucking wrong. They're always <laughs> yeah. wrong. We always forget because they don't come true. It's like when you read the National Enquirer and the apocalypse is happening in a week and then or Hillary's going to be the dead week in two happens weeks and, and then yeah. like next week you're Eric like Coulter's oh going to be in prison next week and, and then yeah. you ju- you don't remember that they said that cuz it didn't happen and then they move on or to you like just aliens abducted and... whatever so who cares well that's how QAnon works you know every time the, <laughs> the big day is coming when everybody's going to get arrested and doesn't happen you just push it back and push it well, back well this is a lesson from age old evangelical uh te- televangelicals Do- right like doomsday yeah prophecies. This has just been this way forever. You make this big thing and you make people do a thing, which is usually money. And then they don't, they give you money and then it doesn't happen. And then you either don't talk about it again or you're like, no, Why, you're so there's, there's a new, there's, we just don't mention it. Cause like, oh, I was wrong. This forget. is, this is the actual date. It's five yeah. years from now. Oh, so. I was wrong. I, I just misread the tea leaves and it's I actually because I forgot to or, carry or the like, two. Jesus came down and saved us. So we're fine. But now you got to give me more money because Jesus said to, and it, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's this is an old trick. The bottom line is we don't know when the Mueller report is going to come out. And we don't know how it's going to be presented because it's possible that Trump's DOJ sort of blocks it. And then what is going to happen is you're going to need uh, the Democratic House to invite Mueller to give it publicly, which would make for great TV. Or it could be it could be disseminated through the media. There's there's we don't know how it's going to happen. It's what's certainly not going to happen is the freak out that, you know, Matt Whitaker is going to stop it or Bill Barr is going to stop it. And then and we Mueller's just, just going to go that home. They did it, and Mueller's <laughs> yeah. going to be like, "Well, guess oh, I well, did my work. We, we tried. Oh well, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah, no. We're we're gonna find out for sure. It's just how is not exactly clear. How and when? Yeah, and what is going to be in it? We don't know. No, no, we don't know. My my sense is there's going to be so much more than even like our buddy the horse whisperer can conjecture upon like so much more and so much jaw-dropping incredible unbelievably more it will also be like yeah i figured you know there'll be that moment of like there'll be some things that'll be like holy fuck and then some things will be like i mean yeah I mean, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like, I'm glad you proved it, but like, we know that already. There's going to yeah. be a lot of that. And I encourage everybody to not 
when it comes out, whenever that happens and however that happens, to not gloss over that stuff as like, oh, I figured or oh, I already knew that. Like, well, that that's how the press operates, right? Yeah. They they look for one or two big quotes, big smoking gun things, and this Mueller report is going to be a fucking detailed epic. It's incision be war and peace. Yeah, and there's yeah. going to be so much in there. And you're really going to have to go through it with a fine tooth comb and don't get carried away because, you know, CNN will find the first juicy thing and run it. And then there'll be all the reactions like, oh, well, that itself is not a big deal. or Oh, that's all it is. Or it's like, there's going to be don't fall into that trap. Yeah. And don't fall into the I figured like, no, it got proven, though. That <laughs> thing that you figured is true beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. So what, what Trump and his surrogates and Giuliani are trying to do is lay the groundwork to say, well, this is BS that they made up, or it's not credible, or it's... It's never going to be proven. There was no collusion. There was no this. There was no that. But, it's, it's bullshit. And then he's going to come out and be like, oh. But whatever Bob Mueller puts into print, he's going to have such ironclad proof of. Yes. That, and that's why these things take so long. Yes. Because you line up all your ducks in a row. These these are not, you know, half-assed prosecutors from Ada, Oklahoma. These, these right. are... You know, this is a serious guy who's going to get all his ducks in a row and prove well beyond a reasonable doubt. And he doesn't care about how urgent you think it is. That's not his goal is to make you feel better and get this done quickly. His goal is to do it properly and cross all the T's and dot all the I's and make sure it is ironclad and there is no whiff of any impropriety anywhere in it. And there's nothing in there that is speculative. There's nothing in there that is circumstantial, that everything in there is ironclad and to a T. And he's not going to do it before he's done doing that. And you can just fucking wait. And this is why you hear about people like Michael Cohen or these other being interviewed for 70 hours or coming in 20 different times it, like yeah. you can get the dirt on them in an hour but you, what you're getting is ironclad unmistakable proof and well and what you do as an investigator stories, yeah. is you say you ask someone the same questions so many times in different ways and in the exact same way and then in different ways and in the exact same if way you're in and search on of multiple the truth. occasions yeah. and then you just keep asking the same questions and you look for inconsistencies. inconsistencies. right. Why did you say this this day and this that day? And maybe it's a tiny, tiny thing, but that thing is inconsistent. So what's the truth? And right. did you lie? And I mean, yo, I fucking hate prosecutors, but like it's an it's a skill. But this is it's why this is why when you're in trouble with the feds um, and they bring federal charges against you, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. You cannot cooperate. Yeah. And go to jail. Some of our friends have done. Yes. Um, if you choose to cooperate, however, <laughs> you better be ready to bear your literal soul. And it is brutal and intense. Dissect you. Everything you've ever done wrong. Literally sign a thing that says, I will tell you everything I've ever done wrong in my entire life, as though the FBI is your priest. Yeah. If you're waiting to hear about the shutdown, we're going to talk about that in the second half, but we're going to just stay on this for a minute. And I want to shift gears to Michael Cohen is scheduled to publicly testify before Congress, uh, for the House committee, I forget which committee, uh, in about three weeks, three and a half weeks. Um, it's going to be so fun. How, what's that going to look like? Well, I think the Republicans are going to tear him apart because he... And call him a liar, which, uh-huh. yes, we know he's a liar. No, we already know that. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Um, 
And they're going to say, like, nothing he can say here today is going to be of any value because he's already pled guilty to lying to Congress. So why is he here? That's going to be their thing. That's what they're going to beat to death. Doesn't matter what he says. He's already pled guilty to lying to Congress. So why is he here? What is the point? He's a liar. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The Democrats are going to ask him hard, fast questions. And the Republicans are going to just beat him with you lied to Congress. Why are you here? Yeah. And try to just impeach his character as much as possible. Right. And Michael Cohen is a lawyer. Now, it's not necessarily a good lawyer. Correct. But he was certainly not a trial lawyer. (laughs) No, but he was a lawyer nonetheless. So he can do, you know, how far does he want to go? Does he want Mueller to deliver the goods? Does he want to deliver the goods himself? Well, that was the thing that that they, the congressional Democrats agreed with the Mueller investigation was that Mueller would give them guidelines of the things they could ask him about that would not in any way infringe upon Mueller's investigation. Right. And so there's, it's going to be a limited number of topics they're going to be able to ask him about, and that's going to be determined by Mueller. And I think that list is going to be pretty small. Maybe it'll just focus on Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels, the right. payments, um, you know, I, I don't know... Mueller's not going to try to um, inhibit them from asking questions about the SDNY case. Uh, the SDNY uh-huh. may say that they should, but I, I, Mueller has nothing to do with his sort of money laundering and taxi business and that kind of stuff. So they could certainly ask him about that. I don't think it's relevant to any. I don't think there's. I don't think there's a relevant reason to ask him about those. Well, things. what the Republicans are going to um, try to do is bet that. Michael Cohen, since he turned on Trump, is now a Democratic or liberal hero. <laughs> and he's not. No. So, so Right. It's going to be hilarious. So shit on him all you want. Yeah. Great. Go ahead. You Great. Think- he was the president's lawyer. You should shit on him because he did all these bad things for your guy. Yeah. With his direct like authorization and knowledge. So please shit on him. Give him a hard time. Because mm-hmm. we. Yeah. Great. Great. Because what he did, all that stuff. Um, your president told him to do so. Let's nail him. Yes, right. So you're gonna try to what trick Elijah Cummings and uh, um, right? They Adam, think Adam he's Schiff our darling now because he flipped, and it's like Michael no, Cohen? never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. So what? De- what smart Democrats will do would be like, well, we've now established, including with our friends across the aisle, that you are a lying scumbag. So where, where's the proof? Where are your receipts? And I guess my question is, how many receipts does Michael Cohen want to bring to this? Right. Where's your proof? I don't believe anything you say. If I'm Adam Schiff, I don't believe anything you say until you prove it to me, because you've already proven that you lie to Congress. Mm-hmm. So tell me this and prove it. Right. And that's the difference between like a John Dean when. Well, Nixon tried to say, well, John Dean's a liar. There was nothing for the American public to believe he was a liar. Right. Um, right. But with Michael Cohen, that's the Republicans have that advantage of. Yeah, it's he is be, a liar. He's admitted like and pled guilty to lying to Congress. So it's going to be a really frustrating hearing in that 90 um, percent of what Republicans are going to talk about is how he lied to Congress. And he's just try to impeach him. Um, and then but that can backfire and you, and spectacularly because him. so much of what he lied to Congress about was the defending Trump. Exactly. That's a trap exactly. they can walk right into. Yes, and they will. Um, when I say <laughs> yeah. impeach him, when we talk about investigations and trials and stuff, impeaching someone means that you use their own testimony against them in order to impeach their character. In exactly. order to say, like, they're lying and therefore they're not a trustworthy witness. There, there's no, there's right? nothing. Not like impeaching the president. There's nothing right? good for Trump or Republicans that can come of Michael Cohen testifying. And there's so many traps they could step into. Um, they should really just kind of sit this one out, but they won't. They won't. Um, and they're going to come after him, and it's going to be 
weird. And that can be turned around beautifully to devastating effect against the And the, the people you have to remember the people that are on this committee are, were in the minority prior yes. to this. And they were still like fucking powerhouses. Although I mean, you know, reclaiming my time and like all that shit. All these people who were on all of these various committees over the last couple of years were all in the minority and um they were still powerhouses, even though they were continuously like shut down and not given their time and not able to, you know, Kamala Harris got talked over and uh-huh. uh, Maxine Waters and like, you know, so now that they're in control, I think that it's going to be a really different atmosphere um, in that hearing. And I think Republicans are going to throw temper tantrums and Democrats are going to ask really hard questions and it's going to be really interesting to watch. And Cohen seems to be looking forward to it, so I know uh, he. Well, I, I you know yeah. I don't know if that's a personal thing about his, his catharsis for him of some kind, or if he really wants to nail Trump, or you know I don't know, and I don't care because he's a scumbag. Right, he's not my fucking boyfriend. I don't yeah. like him at all. I think he's a piece of shit mob lawyer from New York who. God knows the financial crimes he's done, but also like just a sleazebag asshole. Um, so I hope they're hard on him and I hope they ask him really hard questions and I hope that they, um, well, that's inevitable. Um, Yeah. And then I hope Republicans just walk into so much shit and there's so many smart people. That's the thing. Like our people are, are smart and good. And I think, I hope that they'll prepare really well for all of the traps that they can set and then walk Republicans into them and then go, what the fuck? You would think so. I would hope so. Yes. I don't know so. But I think we're much better at governing than we are at at elections. And so I'm not that worried about it. I think they're going to do great. Okay. We'll see. You know, this is part of governing now, I guess. But we're really good at governing. We are. And we're good at hearings and we're we're good at this. And being in control is important. And I think it's going to go great. And I think Republicans are shaking in their boots and they should be because nothing good can come of this for them. Nothing. No. Um, Prove Michael Cohen's a scumbag. Great. The president's lawyer's a scumbag. I mean, what do you, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not like a, a Democrat who like represented Bill Clinton as a scumbag. He's fucking Trump's personal lawyer as a scumbag. Oh, how does that help you? Yeah. Now, what did we learn the other day about Constantine Kalimnik? Was it something with Manafort? Um, I think there was something with Manafort just the other day. Another revelation with Manafort. And now I've totally lost it in the 8,000 other pieces of news. Mm, I don't know. I wasn't prepared for that. Um, Yeah, there was something with uh, with Kalimnik and Manafort. It was a big, splashy headline that lasted a day or two, and then it uh, evaporated. That's the hard part about this. It's, it's, it's keeping up with it's everything. By Saturday, we're like, oh, that, yeah. And that happened happen. Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. And no, there was big Manafort news. I don't remember exactly the details, though. We can look it up and talk about it in the second half. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get all into the shutdown, which is now entering its third week, or actually finishing its third week. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk all about that. So.
come back, and uh, I believe Rachel has a thing or two to discuss that we were not previously planning to discuss. <laughs> shit that pissed Rachel off before the break. Yes, another edition <laughs> of shit <laughs> that pissed Rachel off during the break. What pissed you off during the break, Rachel? Well, um, this is from the Washington Post, so I'm not making this up. Uh, the title is Requests to Bring in Child Brides Okayed, Legal Under U.S. Laws. Okay. Thousands of requests by men to bring in child and adolescent brides to live in the United States were approved over the past decade, according to government data obtained by the Associated Press. In one case, a 49-year-old man applied for admission for a 15-year-old girl. The approvals are legal. The Immigration and Nationality Act does not set minimum age requirements for the person making the request or for that person's spouse or fiancé. By contrast, to bring in a parent from overseas, a petitioner has to be at least 21 years old. In weighing petition, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services goes by whether the marriage is legal in the spouse or fiancé's home country, and then whether the marriage would be legal in the state where the petitioner lives. The data raises questions about whether the immigration system may be enabling forced marriage and about how U.S. laws may be compounding the problem despite efforts to limit child and forced marriage. Marriage between adults and minors is not uncommon in the U.S., and most states allow children to marry with some restrictions. There were more than 5,000 cases of adults petitioning on behalf of minors, and nearly 3,000 examples of minors seeking to bring in older spouses or fiancés, according to data, Okay. released by the Senate Homeland Security Committee in 2017. Mm. Here's the problem. My sunshine was snatched away from my life, said Naila Amin, a dual citizen born in Pakistan who grew up in New York City. She was forcibly married at 13 in Pakistan and later applied for papers for her 46-year-old husband to come to the U.S. at the behest of her family. She was forced for a time to live in Pakistan with him where, she said, she was sexually assaulted and beaten. She came to the U.S. and he was to follow. People die to come to America, she said. I was just a passport to him. They all wanted him here, and that was the way to do it. Amin, now 29, says she was betrothed when she was eight. God. The petition she submitted after her marriage was approved by immigration officials, but he never came to the country in part because she ran away from home. She said the ordeal cost her a childhood. She was in and out of foster care and group homes, and it took her a while to get her life on track. Mm. I was a child. I want to know, why weren't any red flags raised? Who was processing this application? They don't look at it? They don't think? No. So the problem is double-fold. So the problem is 50-year-old men can petition to bring 8-year-olds to the country as their brides. Mm -hmm. As long as that's legal in their home country, that's fine. And the state they're going to live in. And then, conversely, young girls can be used as passports for... They're abusers. Yes. So they can come here because they have a family member here, and then they come here, and then they are forced to, like, write a petition. Like, because a 13-year-old can write a petition for why their, quote, husband should be able to come live here, um, and they're like, that's fine. Yeah, that, that this is something that you would hope our newly elected Democratic House of Representatives might try to fix. 
look into and fix. And that's, you know, it's also surprising that's not something that the right wing has they jumped. They are jumped about. sort of. So they are talking about it. Uh, Republican was talking in the article. I don't remember who, and I don't want to go through the whole article to find him about how like the immigration system is broken and like look at all these visas and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So it's both sides that should be concerned about this for differing and good and bad reasons. Mm-hmm. But the idea that like we're like totally fine to have child brides is also not something that like we don't do domestically. Yes, that's fair. And and, and I know there's been some recent legislation uh, to try to address that. Um, I know a lot of it is ongoing and I know a lot of it meets resistance by religious groups, actually, yes. uh, American religious groups. <clears throat> Correct. Because I think you're, they're probably your gut reaction is, oh, well, in Muslim countries, like, no, it's not just a Muslim thing. It's any patriarchal religion, really, which is kind of all of them. Yep. And it's very big in certain sects of Christianity. And Well, I, I can tell you a personal story. When I was growing up, um, I would spend every summer with my grandparents in rural Oregon, mm-hmm. um, really southern Oregon, almost to the California border. And they lived in this community. And uh, it was mostly senior citizens. It was like a town. And then within the town, there was like a little suburb that you could had to be 60 or older to live Mm -hmm. but then like down the street there were kids and up the street there were kids but mostly it was old people and so the kids we had to play with were like you know on the outskirts of everything yeah and there were two families that we got to know um as kids that were jehovah witnesses Mm -hmm. and one of those families um my brothers and i got really close to and um we grew up with them from the time I was about six until I was about 15. Mm-hmm. And the eldest daughter um, of that family was my brother's age, so three, almost three years older than me. Um, and when I was 11, um, she was pulled out of school and married. Um, she was 14 um and married to a man who was like in his late 20s mm-hmm. so like almost 30 to a 14 year old um and that was legal in the state correct she was 14 so she she had to get her parents to sign something maybe i don't or, know i was a kid i was 11 so i don't know but yeah probably probably but they were jehovah witnesses sure and sure. she was of childbearing age and so they pulled her out of school married her to a man she did not know um she was pregnant within a year god um worked at the local like kroger it's called Freddie Meyer back in Oregon, mm-hmm. um, stocking shelves. And, and I was no longer allowed contact with her after that. Um, and I remember asking my grandmother about it, like, what the, what is happening with Julie? Like, why, why, how is she married right now? Like, you know, Josh is her age and he's like this, you know, pimple faced weirdo who doesn't know anything and can't talk to girls. And she's, his age and she got married and she's pregnant and she's working and she's not in school. And I was just fucking horrified. And my grandmother was like, yeah, you know, that's part of their religious tradition and it's not something that we believe in and it's not something that we support, but like that is, you know, that's what they do. Mm. And I, I never forgot that my whole life. I just remember thinking like as a kid, just like that is what if, what would I do? And then thinking back to when I was 14, I cannot imagine. Oh, you would have just run away or That's what they stabbed did. somebody. Right, or... but I mean, but being a 14-year-old girl and being married to a man you've never met and don't know, and then becoming impregnated by him within a year, um, 
Your childhood is being stolen. It's child abuse and it's rape and it's child sexual assault and it's horrifying. And our current immigration policies apparently are allowing this to just be fine. Yeah. We're going to build a wall <laughs> to protect us and we're going <sighs> to ruin the internet and, and demonize sex workers to protect children. But it's totally fine if a Pakistani 13 year old brings over her abuser who's 50. Yeah. With a green card. So that's one of the many things that needs to be fixed in our immigration system. So there's that. So I'm mad. That's my thing. As you should be. Uh, moving on uh, in terms of stuff that makes us mad. We are now day 21, is it? Of yes. Trump's government shutdown. Yes. To try to get his wall. Mm-hmm. And there's no end in sight. And we don't know how we're going to get out of it. He had threatened to do an emergency declaration, which we're going to get into because it's still a possibility, although he seems to be sort of shying away from that. I don't know why, but he is. Um, And yeah, we're stuck and he thinks this is good and it's going to help him. And except for a couple of Republicans, they are going to die on this hill with him. And this thing could go on for a while and real people are missing real paychecks and running into real problems like paying the rent and paying for medical procedures and living and surviving and feeding their kids, feeding, feeding themselves. Their kids. And it's mm-hmm. between federal contractors and federal employees. We're talking about millions and millions of people. This is a big deal. And this this never ends well for the Republicans. And it's always the Republicans who do this. Well, uh, and why is that, Trev? Because... <laughs> They don't really believe in government. No. And they don't really care about you. But but they run they run on these things that they know aren't feasible legislatively. They're just rallying cries. And then once they find themselves in positions of power, they're like, "Well, we have to try to do something." So, we'll we'll shut down the government over it. We'll essentially hold a tantrum and hold the government hostage. And eventually it ends, and people forget, usually by the time the next election rolls around. And there's a lot of hand-wringing. We talked about this last week. There's a lot of hand-wringing among Democrats because we fucking care. Yeah, we feel like maybe it is in our power to do something about this, even if we have to take a loss. But we can't do that. And it's not because we don't care about federal workers, and it's not because we don't care about the actual impact that's, that's happening to our government, including things like the FDA is not inspecting food. And I mean, like, there's a lot of things that are happening. Yeah, let me explain it really simply, right? There's this very famous quote that says, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Right. Why does that quote exist? What does that mean? Well, right. Well, what it means is you don't negotiate with terrorists, meaning when a terrorist comes and I think it's usually meant with like hostage situations, right? Come kidnap the president's daughter. And... This okay, happened okay, in the well, West Wing, right? Well, what do you want? What do you want? What You do anything for your kid, right? Right. Now, if you succumb to what the terrorist wants, what does that do? It, it means if you're another them. potential terrorist out there who's saying, oh, this works. Great. This is the way we do it. We kidnap everybody, and then you give in, and we get whatever we want. And so that emboldens them to just continue to do this thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason you don't do that is so that you don't make it seem like that's a viable option for getting what you want. Right. And we're in exactly that situation. Now, it's tough. It's a moral dilemma. It's not always that simple. And then sometimes hostages actually die and things can go horribly wrong. Yes. But in a, in a broad principle, there's a reason that that is sort of the accepted norm. Yes. Um, because you- to negotiate and to give in to terrorists um, is to... 
say that this is a way of doing business. That you're, yeah, this works. This, this is works. effective. This is effective. This is an effective tactic. Yeah. And then it creates this all the time. Mm-hmm. That's what we're dealing with. So I think two things can be said. One, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And two, um, the wall is immoral and is not something that Democrats should ever capitulate about. They should never say, well, oh, They well, were willing mm. to give him a bunch of wall money before in exchange for some things, right? And and the Senate and the House, the Republican Senate and the Republican House were willing to go with that. And Trump said no. Yeah. Um, he said no because Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh were mad. I, I don't remember what this was a while ago. I don't remember why this specific time. Uh, I don't remember that specific time. But the point is, like, he, he's been in position before. And then when he had the presidency in both houses of Congress, they could have proposed a bill. They uh, could have passed wall money all day long. He had control of the government for yeah. two years. When we had control of the government for two years, we got Obamacare. Mm-hmm. When they had control of the government for two years, there suddenly wasn't this border crisis. It was just, let's pass horrifying tax laws. Right. That's what they decided to do with that. Yes. Now, now, now it's, it's an, an emergency. emergency. Right. And we're supposed to buy that. And guess what? The American public isn't. The 30 no. or so percent of hardcore Trump sycophants who will never abandon him are with him and nobody else is. And we've seen polling on this. And this is why it drives me crazy when the MSNBC talking heads go, well, who will shoulder the blame? And will right. no, can, should Democrats God. cave? Like, I'm so tired there was of a Reuters, There was a Reuters poll where... Who do you blame for the shutdown? It was like 32% Democrats, 55% Trump, 7% Republicans, and, and Republicans in Congress. Right. And you do the math on that, that means 60-30. Right. Trump slash Republicans versus Democrats. They're getting crushed. They're getting crushed. It's so fucking obvious. Nobody believes there's suddenly a national emergency at the border. Nobody believes that, unless you believe literally everything you're told, in which case, what's that stupid phrase my dad used to say? I have a plot of land and some yeah. island, whatever. It's a pl- right? By a plurality, they're underwater. Everybody looks at what's happening and they go, oh, Trump's throwing a tantrum for the wall and we're shutting the government down. I'm not going to get my tax return. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get like my food inspected. The national parks are being destroyed. There's lots of local and small businesses I've heard from recently who can't access the government websites that they need to conduct business with the federal government because the government websites aren't being manned. Um, it's starting to affect the lives of, of everyday people all across the country, and people are fucking pissed. And they all look at it and go, hmm. And it, it affects more Trump. than you think. I used to work in medical research, and a lot of our medical research was in conjunction with the FDA. And mm-hmm. back during Ted Cruz's Obamacare shutdown, our a lot of our stuff had to be put on hold. We could yeah. have been working on the friggin' cure for cancer, but it had to be put on hold so Ted Cruz could get his Obamacare shut down. And now it's the same thing. There's stuff you don't even think about. Yep. That is affected by this. Yes. Right. I mean, you thought the romaine lettuce thing was a crisis. That was happening while the FDA was inspecting food. Yeah. What What do we do now? When they're just like, we don't, we can't, sorry. So, food is food. Hope the market <laughs> Hope takes care out. of it. Hope it's okay. Yeah. Nobody knows. They're not going to test it themselves. But this is, this is getting serious and it's yeah. getting bad. Yeah. And... 
you know, all the speculation is there's there's no way out of this. Either Trump was going to have to take a huge loss, or he'll have to actually negotiate, which they keep saying, oh well, well, why don't they just negotiate? But he's not offering anything. No, he, he walked into a meeting with Chuck and Nancy. He looked at Nancy Pelosi and he said, are you going to give me money for my border wall? And she said, no. And he said, well, there's no fucking point. And like, bye bye and walked out. And he walked out. Now, if you say like, OK, let's talk. What what can what can I get to get the money for the border wall? Then they couldn't possibly negotiate. Potentially. Would I'm not saying it would work. Right. What would it take? What do I have to give you to get some money for the border yeah, wall? And which, how much would you be willing to give? That's a which conversation. Which was his biggest pitch for being elected president. The, was, the deal I am the maker. deal maker. Yeah. I make the deals. Yeah. I get the government working. I keep the wheels moving. I keep the, you know. I also, can I just say love Nancy Pelosi so much? Because... All you have to do to turn him into a fucking horrible, like, rage spiral is two letters. N-O. Mm-hmm. How many times do you think Trump's heard no in his life? Especially just if it's coming from, from a, a lady. From a woman who has power, and he can't do anything about it, and she just says no. And it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> he just can't How stand it. How dare you? You can't. You know, he just can't do it. A woman that has the power to say no did with no other explanation. Just no. So let's talk about the other possibility of how this ends. If if he's not going to negotiate and he's not just going to give in, uh, then the other be possibility. The spin machine, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the other possibility is he declares a national emergency. And there was a lot of thought, especially late uh, this past week. That that's the way he was going to go. And you even have Lindsey Graham basically begging him to do that so yep. that this will end, mm-hmm. um, which is bizarre in its own right for him to do that. As but a senator, he's as saying, a senator, he's saying, please take away my power. My power. Yeah. I want to give it to you. But let's talk about how what that would look like. Right. So from a political standpoint, he could say, OK, I can't get this done through Congress. And we have an emergency, a crisis on the border mm-hmm. that demands I use. Uh, this law, uh, and I forget, I don't know what the statute is or whatever, you know, Armando probably has that, to declare a national emergency and get these funds to build my wall. And, of course, from a political standpoint, no matter what happens with it, he can then ostensibly say, so there's no more need for a government shutdown because I, this is how I'm going to build my wall. So now the government is reopened. And- Which is what everyone thought he was going to do in this bullshit presser, right? Yes. And he didn't. Right. And like you remember a couple of days ago, he <laughs> he asked the networks for airtime, air even though when Obama did that in 2014 for his immigration message, uh, they said no, because it's too political. They gave it to Trump because otherwise Trump will say bad things about them. I guess in any event, he said nothing. Like and it was basically his stupid stump speech and he didn't even want to give it. And it was a big snoozer. And all the QAnon people were angry because they thought he was finally going to announce that that he arrested Hillary. Or whatever. But he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He just said, like, I might do it. I could do it. My lawyer said I have every right to do it. I'm not doing it, though. <laughs> oh, I want my wall. But And everyone yeah. was like, I mean, I didn't watch Lindsey it. Lindsey Graham why the is, fuck would I watch is that? begging him to do it. Fox News is begging him to do it. All because they know how bad politically this is. And they just want it to end. And the reality is, if he did it, it would it would get stuck in the courts forever. And it's you know he still never would get his wall. But he at least he could say, "Hey, look, I I did what I could do." But he didn't take that out. He didn't take it. So now what? I mean, that was his opportunity to say, "I'm going to do this thing, and then we'll reopen the government." And so now the scary part is that there is enough 
uh, groupthink and delusion in the White House between Trump and his closest people that are like, you know, eventually we'll win this. Eventually people will turn on the Democrats and they'll see we need this wall and maybe we'll manufacture something. Maybe another illegal immigrant will shoot somebody, mm-hmm. right? Like some, some, something will happen and, and, and the public will have an actual right to declare a national emergency. And that's when things get scary. And, and it's not and, just me, by and, the way. And Chuck and Nancy will be forced to come back to the table and give me my wall. And, and like that could be what they're betting on. And of course, that's not going to happen. Look, Democrats are not going to do this. No. They're not doing not it. This There's time. no fucking reason not to do this it. Time. No reason. Absolutely not. Under any circumstances. I love her one word answer of just no. And no, per, and we're not. Like, like, if you came in here with any illusions that that's what we're doing right now, we're not doing it. So you should walk away. If that's what you came in here for with no negotiation, then you should walk away. And the because cracks, no is the answer. And the cracks are starting to show as small as they are. You have a gardener here in Colorado who's a dead man walking in 2020. Yes, he is. Um, like his, his poll, he was like down 20 <laughs> yeah. to any generic dem. any Anyone else, just but, anyone. Yeah, or close to 20. But anyway, he... Um, he says, no, we got to just clean CR and open the government. Uh, you got Murkowski saying that. You got Collins hinting at it, but she's useless. Yep. Um, so there are some subtle cracks in the foundation. It's only going to get worse. And there's a real possibility that this, I'm not sure how it ends, but there's, there's no way for Trump to win is the point. There's no way Pelosi's going to be like, oh, it's gone on too long. I guess we'll give you your fucking wall. No. No fucking way. No No. way. Not a chance. And if she did do that, I can promise you that the progressive caucus would be like, lol. Like they would cause such a fucking stink that there would not be enough. No, 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 no. She won't. She won't. She won't. But anyway, look, here's the thing, right? McConnell could bring it to the floor and pass it. It's already passed in the House. It would pass in the Senate. Trump ostensibly might veto it and then they'd have to override a veto. But McConnell is not prepared to do that. He's not prepared to take on the president. Not at this point. He's such a fucking spineless hack. Of course he is. (laughs) Jesus Christ. We've always known that. Uh, He's not prepared to take on the president. Um, What do his constituents think? Oh, his constituents in Kentucky? How many of them are affected by this, though? I don't know. At some point, it's going to start being like, look... But you know what? They don't necessarily need him. If enough, if enough senators forced his hand, enough Republicans forced his hand, he wouldn't have a choice. But yeah. there's not enough dissension in the ranks yet. Like no. the party is ready to die on this hill with Trump. With the fucking wall that nobody wants, and, and nobody wants to pay for it. And why are we? What? Where? Where is all the Mexico's going to pay for the wall? He and, said the other day, I never said that. He did say it. He said, I he never said, said that Mexico. Was he actually pay for the said wall. to Sean Hannity, they might write him a check for ten billion dollars. He said that. We have it recorded. And then he said, I never said that Mexico was going to pay for the wall. And you're like, how many clips would you like me to pull? Well, he's like, he's like, well, I didn't mean like literally they'd write me a check, but he actually did say they might. They write might write a me a check. Yeah. Yes. In any event. So this is the difference between us and them, right? Like we want this to end. If I was just a purely political being and I didn't care about federal workers and federal contractors, I would say, great, let's have this last weeks and months and let's just destroy the Republican Party. But there's real people who can't pay their bills and can't put food on the table. Yes. And it's not, I can't just say that's okay. And it's not just the workers too. I mean, it is the workers primarily that I'm concerned about, but it is also the work of government that I believe in, in some way. Like 
I don't believe government has to exist, but well, it does. It does serve an important purpose, and that purpose is things like inspecting our food, and you know, like keeping the national parks safe for people to enter and not trash them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the TSA workers um, and the FDA, and the, and yeah, no, right? The FDA, the TSA. Um, there was a new lawsuit that was just came out. A bunch of federal workers are suing the federal government. Um, As a violation of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which says that unpaid labor is slavery and you cannot require a federal worker to work without being paid, which is what they're doing currently. And that is akin to slavery. And there is a federal lawsuit. And I think that's right. They're like, you have to work. We're not going to pay you. But don't worry. And it's like, no, I don't have to work without getting paid because we don't have fucking slavery anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's dual. It's I really care about these workers and I really care about their actual fucking lives. And then I also care about, like, the function of government. And, like, the messaging on this used to matter. It really doesn't anymore because Trump's messaging is is either, oh, it's fine, they'll get paid eventually, or, oh, they're all Democrats, so it doesn't matter, or, and oh, they just, all support me anyway. Uh, like, none of it makes then sense. Then he was like, why don't you just borrow money from your dad? <laughs> and you're like, what are you saying right now? Yeah, it works for Romney when he said that, too. And then go go have a garage sale. The Coast Guard, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, be a babysitter. So, the point is, it's a fucking disaster for Trump and the Republicans, and the few left with a brain in the party understand that. The problem is, there's not that many left. Yeah. You got Trump, and you got the Freedom Caucus types, and you got the Trump sycophants, and you got right-wing uh, cable and radio. And so, th- that's the scary part, Right. The cooler, smarter heads to get us out of this, there, there don't ain't matter. that many left on the other well, side, And they don't matter because ultimately, like, they're up against crazy people. Yeah. And there's more crazy people than not in the Republican Party at this point. Yeah. And so th- it doesn't matter if we have got, like, 15% of the Republican senators and, like... <sighs> I'm with you, but yeah. like you got to wrangle your own fucking party. You guys created this. This is not a, a problem that was created by anybody other than you letting your party get completely out of control, racist, awful. So now we're here and you're going to shut down the government over not allowing a certain race of people to enter this country um, because it makes your, you know, fomenting, rabid, racist base happy. And here we are. And you don't like that. OK, well. You created this. You did this. Mm-hmm. You, this is your baby. So figure it out. This is not my monkey and not my circus. But I'm not giving you a fucking border wall ever. So I don't know. Like, figure it out. It's not my problem. It's not our problem as Democrats. It's not our problem as liberals or progressives. It's just a problem they're going to have to figure out and they're going to pay the price for it. And we're not getting we're not giving you a fucking border wall. It's not happening. So So while all the the cable prognosticators love to try to guess how this is going to end, I'm not going to bother because the element of having a rational actor to try to figure out is is not present. Right. Um, It's impossible to say what Trump is going to do, what his motivations are. He's not thinking rationally. You know. And his interests aren't the interests of everybody else. So I don't know. I don't know what the fuck he's going to do. No, I have no idea. Like, it looked like he was ready to do that emergency declaration, and then they kind of pulled him back from that. I'm not exactly sure why or how, but some have said, no, let's not do that. It may, I don't know. Because if- I think that would trigger, like, a, a serious constitutional crisis. 
yeah, um, that they're trying to avoid as long as they can. Right. And that I mean, that's a thing that, that like eventually. scholars like the thing that Sandy and I have been yelling and screaming about about national emergencies and how it supersedes the Constitution and all of the things. The mm-hmm. Atlantic wrote a piece on a couple days ago, and uh, it, it, precisely what I said on the podcast last week. Precisely what she and I have been yelling about. And the Atlantic wrote a piece on like, oh, just in case you didn't know, if you declare a state of emergency, you can take over all the powers of government, and that's how dictators are formed. And I was like, I've been seriously yelling about this for weeks. Then why why would that be something Trump was worried about? <laughs> He'd be like, that's even better, great, right? But why I think did I do this a why, year ago? Right, I know exactly. But I think that's what triggers the constitutional crisis that Republicans are like, we can't, <laughs> we can't, like we literally that the republic is over and it's our fault. Right, like the the country is done. Well, so they've been I mean, pulling the Republicans him back. have been tearing up norms, and this isn't norms. This is literally like the the grounds for a dictatorship. Uh, there's, I'm surprised there's that many principled Republicans left to even care. And obviously, Lindsey Graham isn't one of them. Right. You thought he was, no. and it wasn't. Why did anyone think he was? Why? Because he likes war. I don't know. Because he's hawkish. And he has a southern accent. Why do people fucking like him? Why do you think he's not a fucking fascist? He is an absolute hack. Why does hack. anyone think he's not a fucking fascist? Why? I don't know. He's an absolute hack. People do. I don't understand. I don't get it. What evidence do we have to support that he's not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Of course he wants to usurp the power or the power that he's given as a senator and as Congress to a single authoritarian power. He's always wanted that. He's always wanted the president to be able to declare war, to be able to do whatever he wanted to do. He's always been a fan of No, of not so much when Obama was president. When Obama was Fair. president, he seemed really concerned about that kind of stuff. But so, not when it so, came to war. So he's a partisan hack. Is what he but is. he's also a fucking warmonger. And a warmonger, yes. We knew that as well. If Obama wanted to have war, we could make do. But anything else, no. But yeah. war, yes. We should always be at war. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about 2020. Uh, it yeah. was announced a couple days ago, Elizabeth Warren is officially running for president. Mm-hmm. And she's knew that in, was coming. She's in Iowa pandering to awful white people because for some reason, Iowa has to go first. Which we talked about last week. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, she's there. Sherrod Brown is there. He hasn't, I don't think, announced officially yet, but he no. will. I think the only announced people so far are Elizabeth Warren, um, Julian Castro, and Tulsi Gabbard. We'll get to them in a second. Well, let me talk about Castro a little bit because I yeah. was in San Antonio in between 2009 and 2013, and I believe he was elected mayor in 2010 in San Antonio. Um, he is, is the real deal. And he is a guy that the young, progressive, artsy people, this was a guy that people actually talked about and knew and knew personally. And he would show up and he would do cool things like come to local rock shows and he would support local arts and he would come to poetry slams. And when a new, uh, you know, public space for, for young artists would show up, he would show up at the grand opening and he would say things and like, he's the real deal. Yeah. He is a cool guy and a, and a legit progressive, and he cares about affordable housing and you know affordable college tuition because like he was there when he was a nobody, just running for mayor, and then when he became mayor, and um, he, he he is the real deal. And I don't think yes, he's technically running for president, but I don't think he's running for president. I think he's getting his name out there. He's to running be, for a vice president. To be vice president, yes. <laughs> I think that's right. And I think if you were to really ask him, like at a coffee shop without the media around, like 
you don't actually want to be president, you want to be vice president, right? He'd be like, yes. Yeah, and then I want to be president after that. Right. Right? Exactly. I mean, I think that's fair, and I think that's okay. And Warren, I, Warren Castro is a dream ticket. Yes. Or Harris Castro. Yes. Is, to me, a dream ticket. I agree. Yes. I mean, I think he's great, and I think he's um, charming, and I think he's, um, he has that, like, it thing. People like him. Yeah. You know? And he's not too politician-y. And he's young, and he's relatable. Uh, he's Latino. Um, part of his uh, announcement today, he did in Spanish, which was great. Mm-hmm. And he did his announcement in San Antonio, mm-hmm. um, in the heavily Latino populated part of the city, I guess, which is the West Side. Uh, it, it always. Yeah. When they say that, it's the whole city. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> right? except for some parts of like the far Northwest Side, with a lot of rich white people and like. NBA basketball players and stuff like that. Like, yeah, the whole the whole city. Is. But he specifically like wanted to be like, I'm I am you mm-hmm. and I am running. Yes. And I think that's lovely. On the uh, flip side of that. <laughs> oh man. Tulsi Gabbard. Well Tulsi There's a name that you've heard. She's a Bernie surrogate, which is interesting, right? I know. Do, I just read like does that all mean they're of the both things running? about her. Well, before we get to that, like she is 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 from the Bernie camp. So does that she mean is. he's not running? Are they going to run against each other for that wing? Yeah. Okay. But she's not really... That's the thing about this. This is the thing I want to unpack for the last 10 minutes we got. Saying I was a Bernie surrogate, and in fact she was like the co-chair of his campaign. Yeah. Um. In some weird version of reality means automatically that you are therefore the most progressive candidate that exists. So I did a little deep dive into Congresswoman Gabbard because a lot of people have been doing that since she announced she's running for fucking president, which is absurd. And she's a fucking garbage person, regardless of being like a Bernie holdout. There's way more to this than that. She's a congresswoman from Hawaii. Her father was also a congressperson from Hawaii, Mm -hmm. a rabidly anti-gay, anti-choice conservative. For the first part of her career, she was also an anti-gay, anti-choice, rabid conservative. And then she served a tour overseas in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And when she came back, she decided that while she is still rabidly anti-choice and anti-LGBT, she didn't want the American government to be run the same way that Islamic extremists run their government, which is a term she really loves. Um, And so the American government should not uh, police what people do with their bodies and or um, right, their lives, I guess. And so personally, she believes that you're a murderer if you've ever had an abortion and you're an absolute like perverted um, sinning asshole if you're queer like me. Um, Professionally and in her political life, she thinks that, like, maybe the government shouldn't, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, regulate that, which to me is not, like, okay. I mean, thanks for, like, voting my way most of the time, but, like, I don't really want you in office because <laughs> I have no assurances that at some point you're not going to be like, well, I mean, I really do hate the gays, though. Um So after her tour overseas, she came back and she became a congresswoman in Hawaii. Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
apparently, in addition to converting her to the idea that the go- the government shouldn't regulate what people do with their bodies, she also decided um, that her tour over there made her incredibly Islamophobic. Yes. Um, and so all Muslim people are Islamic extremists. That's mm-hmm. just what the Muslim religion's about, and we have to fight it, and it's horrible. Um, to the extent that Steve Bannon... Um, loves her. David Duke recommended her for Secretary of State under the Trump administration. She was actually gunning for a position in the Trump administration in 2017. Mm-hmm. After not getting it, she has since softened some of her positions on yeah. her Islamophobia. Isn't that nice? Um, about how the religion is about love, but there are still problems. Um, I'd love to see what she has to say about Christians who commit acts of domestic terrorism and whether or not we should, when you see a Christian be really concerned about their ideology because they might shoot you. Um, I doubt that she would say that and she shouldn't, but that is exactly what she's saying about Muslim people. Mm -hmm. Um, Additionally, she uh, is a big fan of Assad. Yes, that is very weird. Um, For reasons that don't make any sense other than she has a Russia connection. Yeah. And so much like Jill Stein, uh, she's kind of a Russian puppet. Um, I don't think she started out that way. I think she got Steve Bannon and sort of like the trumped into the um, Russian regime of American politics. And so a lot of her positions about things that Russia cares about in terms of foreign policy, she's really on board with, much like Jill Stein. Mm -hmm. Um, So super pro-Assad, super pro um, the dude... Um, in India, who's anti-Muslim. Um, She's a, a part of a very radical, racist, like ultra-right Hindu group. Yes, that's the guy. Uh, or she supports them Nor, the God, I can't remember his name. I just read it, but I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that guy. Yeah, he came from like this like really radical sect of, um, yeah, anti-Muslim Hindus. And then he's like since softened, but like there's like all these ties. It's sort of like when you're part of the KKK and then you become a part of their like freedom caucus and you're like "Mm." i mean like steve scalise yeah like steve king for example well we'll get to him in just a second if we have time so she's a crazy person and she's terrible and she is not a progressive and just because she supported bernie your support of bernie and your caucusing for bernie and are working for bernie have nothing to do with anything else and we have to stop that bullshit how problematic is it that bernie was fine with all of this with her being uh her dude bernie's a fucking russian puppet there's a lot of mounting evidence that, like, he knew and he was just fine with it. Mm-hmm. He knew about a lot of the election tampering and was like, well, it helps us. Yeah. Right? Jill Stein stayed up, like, having dinner with Putin. So, like, that's a whole other conspiracy theory that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, fuck Bernie Sanders. Fuck Bernie Sanders. And, look, I caucus for Bernie Sanders in 2016. I will say it for the millionth time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that my opinion about Bernie Sanders can't change or that when new facts come forward, I can have a different opinion or my opinion can evolve. And my opinion right now is fuck him and I wish he would go away forever. And anyone who is a part of his campaign does not mean that they're awful, but it also does not mean that they're the progressive new candidate choice. Like, look at everything else. Just having a Bernie stamp doesn't mean anything. It mm-hmm. shouldn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I wish it wouldn't, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, I want to get to Steve King real quick. So Steve King finally, <laughs> you know, I, I always say like... Finally. Uh, well, no, I, what I'm getting to is finally 
he went so far that his actual fellow Republicans were like, okay, Wait all right, minute. dude, let's wind it back a little bit. He had an interview with the New York Times. Why they're interviewing Steve King, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was because of the wall. I don't remember. He's a sitting congressman from Iowa. The wall is his baby. Yes. Um, it was his before it was Trump's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it said, like, I don't know when the words white nationalist and white supremacist. And be- Western civilization. And Western civilization became bad words. It mm-hmm. should be fine to say all that. Mm-hmm. And even like Ben Shapiro and other Republicans in Congress, like, oh, no, that's not cool, Steve King. Now, of course, he said similar or even more horrible stuff before, and they've all just ignored it. Paul but this Ryan time he said it in the New York Times He's, and he yeah. said specifically, I don't know when white supremacist became a bad word. Yes. And you're like, well, hmm, <laughs> it's interesting. It's always been a bad word. Um, yeah. It, it is. In your circles, I understand why you're confused. And I just want to, again, repeat something that we had mentioned. We had phone banked for yes. his opponent. J.D. Shulton, who made it a closer race than a lot of people thought. Yeah. And we discovered that all the Steve King supporters we talked to, and it was almost all Steve King supporters yes. because they did a really, really crappy job. Really, really bad job um, who we should be talking to, which yeah. is a different subject. None, when we brought up Steve King's racism, none of them said, yeah, I like I like that he's racist no. and shout the N-word. They all said, uh-uh. no, no, he's no, not no. racist. He's being misunderstood. He's taken out of context. He's not really like that. I know him. Yeah. I bought gravel from the guy. He's yeah. not like that. He's a nice guy. He's great. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's just the media. Yes. It's just the media being, you know, overzealous. And he's not. He's a good guy. And I've it, known and, him for years. And right? it's hard to unpack that, right? Because we're not saying they're right. Um, they're either being purposefully obtuse or concealing their own racism. But like that's much harder to contend with than if they just were going to wave a rebel flag and shout the N-word. Then we know what we're dealing with, right? Yes. And that is why the problem of racism in this country is way more insidious than painting all white, you know, ultra conservatives as rebel flag wearing n-word shouting no this is the problem this is the same thing that i dealt with earlier this week at my job is like there's one thing when you call someone the n-word or you're like pinching my ass at work and being like hey honey yeah right right. or asking me for a blowjob for a promotion there are those non-subtle forms of racism that that are so fucking obvious yes it's the microaggressions and the smaller stuff and the implicit bias stuff that really underpins the systemic racism and patriarchy in this country or the it's the stuff that i don't see it i don't want i don't notice it i'm so enmeshed in my own privilege that i don't even realize it's there yes and that's the hard work of white people is to look inwardly and figure out what are those biases that you fucking have because i promise you you have some yes and figuring out how to dismantle those that's the fucking struggle that's that is the work of white people is to do that. And, and if we and, could do that, yeah. we could we could be okay. And imagine if you're a rural white person in Iowa that's only surrounded by other white people. Like Right. Well what who cares? Like what what is the incentive for you to to try to break through that? Right. There is none. Right. Why? You don't even have to answer to your neighbors. No. No. Because they all look like and you. And if there's a black person in town, you definitely call the police because what are they doing here? <laughs> right. Or like you've known them your whole your whole life, so they're fine. They're they're one of they're the, the good okay blacks. blacks. They're the right. good blacks. Yeah, yeah. They're not like those other blacks. Anyway, we'll have much more to say about this because now we actually have a, a a speaker of the house who might do something about Steve King. Yeah. I mean, she's got bigger fish to fry right now, but eventually she's going to have to address this. So he might be censored for whatever that's worth. Anyway, we're out of time. Uh, we will be back next week. God knows what will be happening in the world. 
we always say that and then we're always surprised so we yeah. can't even begin to guess at a reverend duo on twitter twitter reverend testimony at gmail.com hi to our newest follower in boston yes yes who found us through uh or or discovered that she knew someone whom we know which is kind of exciting so yeah welcome welcome <laughs> and uh, or actually maybe you have listening to this the whole time we don't right. know if she's new she's right. new to us hi <laughs> is all we're saying all right i'm travis i'm rachel see you next week